haven't met one that impressed me yet. And spoiler alert, once again, probably not going to meet one that impresses me today either. But we're going to give it our college try. You're going to try your best. But I have a feeling that I'm not going to like what I see. Also, hopefully we're going to be joined maybe in the 3 o'clock hour by... uh, at least one guest for sure we're hoping for. Note to self, when you schedule interviews um, for players that are draft prospects, don't schedule them on draft week because they have interviews to do via Skype and Zoom talking to teams. So hopefully we can get this cat on. I don't want to tease it too much, but I think he should be calling in here in the next couple minutes or so, and we'll go with that. Plenty of stories to talk about today still. You know, what's the latest on the Yannick Ngakwe um, saga, if you will? Um, I kind of put out a clip a couple minutes ago, and people are responding to that, so we'll get into that a little bit, you know, and what do the Jaguars want for him? You know, I mean, are we still in the first-round territory, or is it to the point now where it's like you want to wash your hands of it, maybe a second-round pick or maybe two second-round picks? We'll get into that. Miami, there's rumors coming out of the Dolphins camp right now. They're going to trade up in the top five and try to grab an offensive tackle. All of a sudden, Tua's getting thrown to to the sidelines. Is that true? Or is that a smoke screen? Because right now, especially in quarantine season, it is also smoke screen season. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Not really sure where my co-host Brent Martino is. It's all good, though, man. I have the keys. And Justin Kuzart, our uh, producer Kuz today, is nowhere to be seen either. Not sure if he's got a foot in the parking lot or if he actually has some kind of business meeting going on. But we're joined by Scott today. Scott, long hey, time no see, man. How we doing? I'm rocking the suburbs. I can't speak for the rest of the crew. I don't know where those guys are at. But I heard a rumor that uh, Kuz was in discussions with Tampa, so anything's possible. Well, you know what? And who isn't going to Tampa Bay right now, right? And, and that's obviously a big story going on. Rob Gronkowski making his way to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, you know, if you're the New England Patriots, you take what you can get for him, okay? Obviously, he's not going to play in your division anymore, so you don't have to see him every single year. You'd much rather have him on the Patriots than not on the Patriots, but you know what? You got something for him. You got that fourth-round pick, and it's better than nothing. How much does Rob Gronkowski have left in the tank? I know he's been bathing himself in CBD now for probably the past year and a half, so you got to like his chances there. I'm curious to see how it plays out. Just from another storyline, right? Like, I, I'm not going to go off my position and think that the New Orleans Saints are definitely the favorites in that division. But truth be told, man, adding Gronk, adding another weapon, and here's the point. It doesn't matter really how much he has left. At the end of the day, the name on the back of his jersey says Gronkowski. And when you have that, you have to game plan for that. So I guarantee offensive coordinators, when they play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're going to be going back and forth. They're going to be asking, all right, how do we stop Gronk? How do we stop Gronk? Gronk doesn't have to have 10 catches for 150 and two touchdowns every single game. He just has to be healthy. He just has to be another wrinkle in the scheme. He just has to make offensive coordinators game plan for him. And I think he's so capable of doing that. Obviously, it begs the question out for Tampa Bay. Cameron Brait, O.J. Howard, Rob Gronkowski. Somebody's got to go. You know, and with the rumors being that O.J. Howard was on the trade block before Rob Gronkowski came to Tampa Bay, it's my opinion that O.J. Howard's probably going to be the odd man out. And I'm not going to sit here and say trade a first-round pick for him, even trade Leonard Fournette for O.J. Howard, right? But I do think O.J. Howard has a lot to prove. For whatever reason last year, and I was a big O.J. Howard, um, you know, I I was all on board on him. I I was saying go draft him in fantasy. I think he's going to have a big year. 
I couldn't have been any more wrong, and maybe some of that intel came from some sources in Tampa Bay talking about my cousin, uh, Jenna Lane, kind of dropped some information on me saying, oh, yeah, O.J. Howard going to have a big year. Well, he didn't, all right? He disappointed, to say the least. One can wonder if that had to do with maybe Bruce Arians and him just not seeing eye-to-eye schematically. Well, whatever the fact is, O.J. Howard did not ball out last year. We'll enter the new year now. And I think with Cameron Braid as well, Cameron Braid's always been that dependable type of guy. He's great in the run game. He's a red zone target. So I can't see them parting ways with Cameron Braid, um, especially when O.J. Howard was on the trade block before Gronkowski came in. So if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars and I have all this draft capital and I still have a need at the tight end position, I'm going to give Tampa Bay a second look. I'm going to give them a couple calls and say, what is it going to take to get O.J. Howard to Jacksonville? Because at the end of the day, keep in mind, they don't have any bargaining chips right now with O.J. Howard. The, the, the entire NFL realizes that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have three tight ends on their team, three legit tight ends. And guess what? They're not going to play three of those tight ends at the same time because that's not Bruce Arians' M.O. So somebody's got to go. So I think if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you have an advantage where, you know what? Even though it could be a higher price, maybe a second-round pick, uh, I'm, yeah, second round pick. You, you, you can try to lowball Tampa Bay a little bit just because they have no other choice. It's just like New England. They didn't have a choice. Like, Gronkowski wasn't going to go to New England. So you had to trade him away for a fourth round pick. You got something for him. Tampa Bay now is in the same boat, in my opinion, where you have O.J. Howard. You got to get out. You got to get rid of him. You have to get something for him. Maybe a third round pick. Maybe a fourth round pick as well. We'll see how that shakes out. But it's going to be an entertaining night, to say the least, uh, with the NFL draft. Other news around the NFL right now. Obviously, I got into Yannick Ngakwe a little bit. And listen, my thoughts haven't changed at all of how I feel about Yannick Ngakwe. Okay? Um, shouldn't have called the organization out. Tony Khan, I think, did the right thing in responding to him. Um, it's been kind of quiet on the Western front, you know, and I think that's a good sign for Yannick Ngakwe because, like I was so adamant about, man, it doesn't matter at this point what you do, okay? The the market's just not there for you, so you might as well just be yourself and, you know, put the faith in the higher power and hope that it works out. The, literally, that's all you can do right now. The last thing you want to do is try to, you know, cause a controversy and maybe turn some teams off of you. And that's the beauty with free agency, though, is the fact that all it takes is one team to go after you. If you have one team that is interested, if you have one team that's just that little bit over just trying to make a Super Bowl run here, they're going to go after you, man. So you just got to mind your time, and hopefully that it all works out, and then we'll go from there. But overall, man, we'll see how Yannick Ngakwe and this whole thing pans out. I've been very adamant about this. If, if it's me, I want to get rid of him as fast as possible. Obviously, you have to get what you can for him. And I get there's some kind of ego involved in terms of the general manager, in terms of maybe the owner, obviously, in Shad Khan. And there is an ego involved. But keep in mind, man, the last thing you want from Yannick Ngakwe right now is to cause this distraction when you're trying to do this complete rebuild, right? I don't want rookies coming in and having to go through this. I want a fresh start. Scott, we got a phone call coming in here, too, by the way. 
We got your guy. Oh, we got my guy. All right. Well, hey, I was going to wait for my boy Brent Martino, but you know what? Brent's not here right now. So as far as I'm concerned, this is going to be a Central Wisconsin just showdown. So to set this guy up a little bit, obviously, you know, in Jacksonville, I played for the Jaguars for three years. There's a guy by the name of Brad Meester. And we always call Brad Meester Mr. Jaguar because he is the personification of that Jaguar mentality. He was the personification of what it meant to play in Duval. And obviously, 10-plus seasons with the Jaguars, he earned that title. You know, the ring of honor, the works. Well, now I'm joined by a guy who really needs no introduction because you should know him by now. We've been talking about him for the past month or so. But I'm joined by a guy out of Amherst, Wisconsin. Don't worry, everybody listening in Jacksonville, you probably never heard about it. Not a big deal, though. But I'm joined by a guy from the University of Wisconsin Center, um, award-winning center, Coming from the Wisconsin Badgers by the name of Tyler Biotish. Tyler, man, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So, obviously, you know, I mean, there's so many storylines going on right now with the NFL draft. And I think the biggest storyline for you, obviously, is you're a guy who comes from the small school, goes to Wisconsin, does his thing, gets put on the map, and everything was set up for you to be successful here in this NFL draft. Unfortunately, in the landscape right now, you know, with COVID-19 and everything like that, you actually had to miss your pro day. How crucial was that for you to miss the pro day? And just, I guess, how frustrating was it from the standpoint of you couldn't showcase your skills? Because if, I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, you went to the combine and you actually only did um, like the interview part, part in the, the process of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the, the pro day was. I mean, it was it was crucial. I mean, you know, a lot of coaches come to that, and it's kind of like your second chance after the combine and everything like that. But um, you know, actually, I did have a chance to um, showcase a little bit of where I was at because I just got healed from my uh, AC scope I had done in January. Okay. And I actually uh, sent out videos of, you know, uh, punching bags, doing online drills and everything like that. So I did have, I did have like a mini pro day offensive position work and I got into all the scouts and all the NFL teams. So I did have a little bit, but the pro day was crucial. I mean, like even with this COVID-19, like I'm pretty sure right after our pro day, it, everything got canceled. And, you know, that's a big hit for all coaches. I mean, for just for scouting and, you know, you're taking guys from only their film and not where they're at as of today. And I think, you know, that is a, that is a hard thing for coaches to uh, recruit upon. But, um, you know, I'm thankful I, I got to have mine in um, really late, um, a week, two weeks ago. So, I mean, it was definitely a good deal for me. Um, but, you know, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Talking with Tyler B. Otish, center from the Wisconsin Badgers and draft hopeful. And, you know, I mean, where are you at mentally right now, man, right? Because you read, like, you, you the mock drafts and everything, and they got you, you know, some guys got you late first round, some guys got you third round. I mean, you're kind of all over the board, obviously. And, and once again, not being able to, to visit teams, you know, on those visits and not being able to showcase your skills. I mean, where are you feeling right now that you're going to go in the draft? You know, I, I had a pretty uh... – interesting um partake in that as well throughout the whole um, um process for uh you know getting to the draft and everything so and i have been aware of all the mock drafts and how up and down i was um but you know what i'm, I'm fully healthy now and the main thing for me is to get drafted to get that opportunity and wherever that falls you know i'll be happy to be able to showcase my talents and to support a city and a supportive team and a whole community so i mean really I have no idea, um, but you know what? That's that's kind of how life is. You know, the unknown. Everything is an unknown. Um, so, you know, you just kind of go with it, and you 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 stay hopeful, and you stay grateful for the opportunities coming, and um, you know, you just do your best and keep 
keep your vision in mind and, you know, um, get back home. You know, I'm just training, uh, keeping my, uh, keep my mental toughness up and everything like that. And just to continue to separate, you know, from others. Cause you know, this might take a big hit for a lot of people. So, I mean, just to keep up that mentality and uh, just kind of grind through it all. Tyler, it's funny, man. I, I was talking to my stepdad, who's even a bigger Badgers fan than I am, and, and he watched every one of the Badgers games this year. And I kind of asked him a little bit. Didn't tell me you're going to be on the show, but I just wanted to know, like, so what do you see Tyler Biotis going? And he, he kind of gave me his draft profile real quick, and I can't really repeat what he said because it was chock full of <laughs> swear words and cussing. But uh, to try to summarize it, it was expletive, tough as nails, expletive, nasty, expletive, you know, the, the, the typical Wisconsin lineman. So my question to you is, what is it about the University of Wisconsin and its offensive linemen that they just seem to be on a completely different level once they get to the NFL? You know, I think I think that comes with the, the rich tradition of offensive linemen and the, kind of the, the standard of upholding that and can, being consistent each and every year and having that mentality that this is the group that leads to success. Um, you know, it all starts up front. And no doubt you have skill guys, you know, like JT, big part of our success. But you know what? We're, we're, we're a part of that success as well. And I think, um, you know, it takes all 11 guys, but the guys up front, they do most of the dirty work. And uh, I think that's fair to say. So I think just the whole mentality of being Wisconsin as an old lineman, you have a job to do and a responsibility to uphold. And I think that really translates to the NFL very well, and especially the system you come from. Tyler, obviously coming from a small town, we have to address it now, right? And I don't speak very highly of the Amherst Falcons because they were our conference rivals back in high school, but I'm willing to make an exception for you, man. I'm willing to make an exception for you. Just what was that transition like? And I'm not sure how many kids when you're graduating class. I know Amherst is probably smaller than Iowa, Scandinavia, where I grew up is, and Iowa, Scandinavia's got about 1,300 people, so it's smaller than that. Uh, I know you're a big farm kid, man, but what was that transition like going from such a small school where, let's be honest, some of the competition you probably went against wasn't up to par, going to the big Big Ten and literally kind of getting plugged and played right away. Right, I think um, you know coming from a town of one thousand, so three hundred less than you guys. A <laughs> thousand already. Um, Shout out to Amherst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, I think it's more of like a mindset and a commitment of what what are you going there for? And I think um, you know I had a great group of guys around me that you know showed me the ropes, and but they didn't give it to me. You had to earn every part of it. You had to earn your stripes. You had to keep grinding every single week, every single day. You go home and you kind of get that mindset of what's tomorrow going to look like for you and how are you going to do it? And how are you going to separate yourself? And I think through my first fall camp, you know, it was very new to me coming and playing center. I've never done that before. And just kind of learning from scratch, um, you know, just picking our starting center's brain all the time, just getting clues upon what to do here and there and everything like that. So I think just the mentality of growth every single day and it, you know, it pays off in dividends. I mean, it, it comes in bits and small pieces, you know, if it's 1% every day, sooner or later, you're going to get to close to your potential. And, and then you just keep on striving. What Then you look at NFL players and then you keep on getting tips here and there. And it, it's just a continuous process of success and growth. And there is truly like, Failure is failure, but it's all about lessons learned from those, not even the failures, because like failure is turning into success. So, I mean, um, just that growth and those lessons learned that you can uh, grow from, I mean, that's just the main thing I've been on, so... 
Tyler, man, and I want your honest assessment here. I'm not going to ask you too many hard-hitting questions, but this is one I want your honest opinion on. You got recruited to Wisconsin to play defensive tackle. Obviously, coming from a small high school like that, uh, you know, you have to play both ways. You go into Wisconsin playing defensive tackle. What was your first thought when they told you, you know what? We need you to play center. Were you excited about it, or were you kind of like, uh, I don't want to play offensive lineman? You know, I wasn't. It was, it was actually so on my scholarship it says defensive line, and in that spring following um, my scholarship offer, because I had it in uh, the June of my uh, junior year, and then the next May, uh, Joe Rudolph came to our, our high school and said, you know what, uh, this is what we're in need of right now, and we're looking you at you know offensive guard or offensive center, and we're I was just like. You know, okay. You know, I'm committed to you guys. Like this is what I'm gonna do, and you know, if it if it works out a different way, it works out a different way. But anyway, I'm gonna get on the field. I'm gonna like create a presence and success to this team. I'm gonna do it. And I had a, you know, at first it was kind of like, you know, you were kind of in a foreign language, foreign uh, footwork. All this stuff was really foreign to me. But I had, like I said before, I had great guys around me that just they didn't care. They just wanted to make this program as best as it possibly can be every single day and it was just this mindset of you know what i might not be good at this right now but you know what i'm gonna be damn sure i'm gonna grow from it and i'm gonna get it down i'm gonna watch film like every day and so it's just this continuous like like repetitions and you know what can you learn from this and how can you get better so it's just it was surprising to me at first but you know, it worked out very well, so I'm not too uh, unsatisfied with that. <laughs> <laughs> Talking with uh, Badger great center Tyler Biotish. And, you know, Tyler, I say center here, but like you said, you've you played guard before too a little bit. I mean, do, when, when this whole draft process right now, and you're talking to teams, I mean, do you try to portray the fact that you're open to playing guard, or do you kind of just pigeonhole yourself and say, you know what, I want to be the best center in this draft, you should take me at center. Like, are you open to playing maybe an interior offensive line role? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm open to play both um, guard and center, and uh, and that's the thing too. You know, at center you learn you learn guard pretty damn quick. Um, you know, having the responsibility to know what they're going to do every single play, and just knowing the playbook in general. And it's you know they're doing it's one dimensional each way. If it's like a cutoff reach or if it's a play side reach, like at center you're doing it both you're doing it both ways, and you're leading with uh, both feet if it's right or left. So I think that really helps me uh, be versatile and um, you know, I think it only helps me. So, so in terms of the draft, man, do you have any big plans? I mean, obviously with the landscape right now, the, the COVID-19, you can't really do too much, but are you just going to be at home with some close family and friends watching the draft? Or, I mean, let's yeah. just say if there wasn't something happening, did you have a big intricate party plan or anything like that? Or is it more kind of like low key or style? Um, you know, before the COVID-19 came out, I did, I was going to have like a little bigger draft party. Um, I got a at a local establishment back in Amherst and stuff, but um, you know, right now it's just like a little small gathering, close friends, close family. So, um, just back in town. I know a lot of people can't really travel right now, and we have stay-at-home orders and everything like that. So, um, you know, we're just doing our best to have a good time. Go ahead, Brett. So uh, I'm joined now by my co-host Brett Martin. Oh, here, Brett, you got a question for Tyler? Hey, what's up, Tyler? Sorry, I was working. I was working on a draft special in TV land, so we're just jumping in here. But uh, congratulations and good luck tomorrow night. Uh, you play, obviously, in the Big Ten. There's a bunch of draft guys in the Big Ten. And I was yeah. just interested in, in all the guys you play. You know, maybe it's a Epinesa. And I know you wouldn't necessarily go against all these guys, but, you know, it's a Cuda. You hear all these guys' names, uh, Gross Matos. Hey, anybody really jump out? 
in competition in tape and you were like, wow, this guy, he's going to be good at the next level. Uh, there are a lot of them, but anybody that really stands out to you? You know, I think, uh, so I actually room with uh, Ben Bredesen from Michigan, uh, the, the right or left guard. Um, but, um, you know, I, I had a lot of guys from the Big Ten I trained with in L.A. Um, and, you know, Devon Hamilton from Ohio State and, um, you know, Raekwon from Alabama. And, like, you see all this talent. So, I mean, you it, the Big Ten Conference has a lot of guys, like you said before, Epinesa, and they have, like, uh, Wurfs, you know, and those guys, are they're very good. And um, very talented guys, too, and you, you respect that. You know, when you're in the Big Ten, you respect it. And, you know, you get after their butts <laughs> during the game. But, I mean, you definitely – you definitely, uh, you definitely respect them, and um, you appreciate that work ethic they have, and you know, you just that's the competitive edge you have. So, um. obviously, too, I mean, you know, of talent in the Big Ten, I mean, one can't obviously not mention Jonathan Taylor, you know, and, and obviously he he had every single rushing stat this year. It seemed like in the Big Ten, but a lot of that is obviously a reflection of his offensive line as well. Can you just kind of explain a little bit, like what what was it like blocking for Jonathan Taylor, and just what, what type of player is he, not only on the field but off the field as well? You know, it was it was easy and hard because you know if you had a sliver of a hole, you knew JT was going to get through. But that was the, that was the thing. It was just like you know what we we know every play can hit for a touchdown, and we know we can do that. Like if we do it right, and we have every, all eleven on the same page, we know this is going to go to the house. So that was the kind of the mindset too. It's just like do whatever you possibly can to get your job done, and it's going to work. It's going to come up for nine or twenty or eighty. Like so. It's just that mentality of all you need is a sliver, man. And if you can, if you can get your craft down and get your work ethic down, if you get that big block and bigger separation, bigger gap, like JT's very versatile with his uh, athletic abilities. So I think, you know, it was a very, it was a very great blessing for us to have him throughout the last uh, three years. So. Um, Tyler, I got one more question for you, then we'll let Brent ask any more questions if he has them. But to me, man, your your greatest play and just, I guess, like the characteristic that, that defines you the most didn't even happen on the football field, right? Like, yes, yes, we've all seen the footage. We've all seen the long runs from Jonathan Taylor. We, we've seen you pancake people and you play with that nastiness. You know, you eat nails for breakfast. We all get that, man. But to me, what my favorite story about you is, and something I shared on the show uh, a few months back was you actually came to the aid of a fan who who was in dire need of some help, you know, and this occurred outside the stadium, not actually on the field. Can you kind of explain a little bit what happened there with that fan and how you kind of helped him out a little bit? Yeah, it was just a, you know, it was just a fan, right? I was right across the road from where I lived. It was right next to Camp Randall, and, and he was just standing there, and, um, you know, I just I popped by, and I, I always say hi to people, you know, just greeting them by and everything like that, and he said hi back, and um, after I kept walking, just like a normal person would. He's just like, hey, can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he said, you know, can I use your cell phone? I'm lost. And I was like, absolutely, you know. And and um, he's a little older, like mid-30s, I'm assuming. And um, at first I just I thought I was a normal guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually became uh, – he actually told me because he couldn't get his uh, uh, friends on the phone, he actually told me he was a special needs. And I was like, okay, you know, just come over, you know. And it was just like right across the street. And he came over to our house and – I just said any number you can reach someone, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you safe here. Like, you know, we had, uh, you know, all of our, I had a group of guys that were at over at our house and family. So we had, we gave them beverages, we offered them food or whatever. And, um, you know, it was really just kind of 
being there for that uh, person that is in, is in dire need. And, you know, you don't, you don't know what would have happened if, you know, I went to stop by and, um, you know, I think that's just how everyone should be, you know, open to that and, you know, obviously keep up your guard, but I mean, just being there for that person. And, um, you know, we did reach out to his, uh, his mom and then, um, his mom reached out to the people that he was with and, you know, he just got lost coming out of Camp Randall because how many people are in Camp Randall after the game. So, uh, um, yeah, it was just a, you know, simple, simple, uh, thing. I mean, it was just, I'm just grateful I was there for him, you know, because you never know what could have happened to him. That's very cool. Uh, fan for life, obviously, of Tyler Biotta. She's with us on Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. Okay, I've got a, a couple quick hitters and we'll let you run. I know you got uh, a big day coming up tomorrow uh, and all weekend long, but uh, you are from Wisconsin. Uh, do you call it an Amherst, a bubbler, or a water fountain? <laughs> A bubbler. Yes. You better believe it. Hey, I'm from Rhode Island, man, and we call it a bubbler, too. So <laughs> we like that about you. But really the reason I ask is we've got a, a person that listens to this show and follows us on Twitter, and his name's First Coast Bubbler. Yeah. And every time we put a draft out there, it has to be either a Florida Atlantic guy, I'm assuming he went to Florida Atlantic, or a Wisconsin guy yep. that, that gets drafted. So, Tyler, just to let you know, man, you've been drafted 9, 20, 42, any number the Jags have, <laughs> this guy first. Goes bubbler wants you picked for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So just say hey to him or something, will you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing I, I want to say: Green Bay, Wisconsin, right? I mean, yeah. Wisconsin and Green Bay and Lambeau Field, mm-hmm. underrated. Mm-hmm. Camp Randall, of course, Madison, Wisconsin. I've always heard it's an unbelievable college town. Never been. How good is it? Oh, it's absolutely awesome, man. That you will never have as much excitement in your life, man. Game days are. Oof, man, you, you should definitely go to a game. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you want to go to a game now that you don't have to play in a game. <laughs> and, you, know, uh, you, never, you never really know what's on the outside of it, but, like, man, those 11 o'clock games, people are up at, at it at 6 a.m., let me tell you. That's awesome. All right, one last one for you. We've had some, like, the all-name team around here, whether it's Tyson Alualu and oh, people yeah. would say Alualu or Yannick and Yannick and Gakwe and – Tyler Biotish, how are we saying it right? What's the worst you've ever yeah. heard said about how someone pronounced your name? Whoa, whoa, whoa. family <laughs> radio show. Careful about that. <laughs> I mean, how much do people screw up your last name? You know, you hear like Biadaz or, you know, I even grew up uh, at a substitute teacher called me Badass once. And it was just, you know, you get these repetitive and it's just like, you know what? Yep, that's me. <laughs> you know, you just accept it, move on. Because, you know, like parts of my name isn't, you know, technically correct from the alphabet. But, you know what? I support it whatever way you want to say it. Hopefully you're a badass in the NFL, man. Well, I was going to say before, <laughs> exactly. before Tyler leaves, we have Mel Kuyper's thoughts on Tyler Biotis for his draft. You got another minute? You want to hear it? Do you want to hear it quick? Do you want to hear what Mel Kuyper's got to say about you when you get drafted? Sure. All right, ESPN sent it to us. Scott, you got that ready for us? He doesn't have it. Oh, ready. never mind, man. We Spoiler gotta give Scott alert. a heads up yeah, on that. Uh, that's my bad. Well, Tyler, believe me, it was pretty good. <laughs> he's probably already heard it. I'm sure he's already heard it. Yeah, wait, exactly. wait until you hear it tomorrow. Exactly. Uh, now we're talking. Yeah, all right. Hey, hey, man. Thanks for joining us, uh, and uh, thanks for hooking up with Austin to come on the show. Best of luck yeah. to you, and, and I can't wait to see where you land. No problem. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, Tom, man. Thank you very much, man. The, the pride of Amherst, Wisconsin. And probably the only time I'll have an Amherst Falcon on the show, Brent, because once again, they were big rivals, and I can't co-sign and have a lot of Amherst Falcons on the show. So give, I did I find mi- the clip. Uh, I missed that right. part of it. So we'll yeah. play that in just a second. Thanks, Scott, for getting on it. Uh, the 
uh, Amherst, Iola, yeah. Scandinavia, how far away? Oh, man, three, four miles, five miles. Oh, so it's right there. Oh, it's right next door, yeah. Oh, okay. I I'm didn't skipping realize. a joke. Like I said, I missed the early part. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah. it was that close. Oh, yeah, it's like five miles away. All right, so, like, rivals, but mm-hmm. is everybody, are, is it kind of cool, like, even in Iola, that Biotish is going to go in oh, the draft? Yeah. I mean, does it, is it a hometown oh, guy? No, no, of course. I mean, listen, he's not he's not necessarily a hometown guy. Like, Iola's not going to claim him because, thankfully, Iola's got their own guy this year, Christian Welsh, who was a middle linebacker from um, Iowa. I'm not sure if he'll get drafted or not or if he'll get, get like, an undrafted free agency um, spot. But, so... Th- no one like from Iowa is claiming Tyler Biotish, but they're all obviously rooting for him, right? Because w- when you're surrounded by small towns, kind of like we are when I grew up, um, you cheer for everybody next to you, you know, because it's, it's like another underdog story. So um, I think Tyler Biotish has a lot of supporters where I'm from. He obviously has a lot of supporters in Amherst, and he's probably got a, a lot more supporters in Wisconsin University in Madison. All right, Mel Kuyper, uh, unfortunately, um, Scott, you did a good job just to get it uh, that quickly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I think Tyler's going to be able to hear it. In fact, he can go back and listen on the show. Of course, I'll be sure to take him in. Just if he wants to see how it feels, this is a little prelude to uh, tomorrow night uh, or the weekend whenever he gets drafted. Here's Mel Kuyper on Tyler Biotish. Mel Kuyper Jr.'s Player Profile. Six three and a half, three hundred fourteen pounds. Here's a kid. When you go back to the Iowa game and several games this year, really all phases. He anchored in pass protection. Love his ability to block on the move. He can pull and he hits that target consistently. He's a veteran. He's proven. He's well coached. He was really the key to the success of Jonathan Taylor running the football. Tyler Biotis follows in the footsteps of Travis Frederick and all those other great linemen that have come out of this program. That could be a guy who transitions quickly as a rookie into the NFL. There you go. Not bad. Kind of what you see yeah, on tape, yeah, kind of yeah. what you know about him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like what we talked about a little bit, obviously the, the, the biggest, I guess, question mark for him was the injuries, right? Because he had a couple surgeries and things like that. He had a, he, he had hip surgery. Um, he had an AC joint. He had to get repaired. So he didn't get a chance to showcase his talents at the combine at all, right? He just did interviews and everything. So, you know, really the pro day at Wisconsin was going to be big for him because this was kind of his first chance to show everybody like, hey, what you see on film, I can still do. Well, unfortunately, you know, with COVID-19 and everything, the Wisconsin Pro Day got shut down, so he wasn't able to display his talents to show the teams, like, listen, I still got this, man. You better pick me high because someone else is going to take me. He couldn't do that. So now it's more of just the interview process and things like that. But overall, man, it's like I always say, the eye in the sky doesn't lie. And if you turn the tape on Tyler Biotish, you're going to like what you see. How many football players, by the way, go to the NFL or especially go to Wisconsin, grew up on a farm, and that's where their work ethic is from? I mean, that's, oh, that's what you read about, be honest, well, right? The family. Of course, man. And, and, I mean, that's a, it, it's a good trait to have. It is. You know, and, like, that, that's, the, that's the thing about Wisconsin, man, offensive linemen. You know, like, Wisconsin's, you know, obviously it's a big farm state, so all these offensive linemen, you know, the, the, these corn-fed boys, as they call them, um, you know, the, the, they grow up slinging hay bales and all that stuff, so they know what work ethic looks like. Um, obviously, it makes them stronger, and by the time they get to Wisconsin, I mean, playing football is fun, man. Like, doing chores and everything like that in the farm has got to be hard. Do the Jags need a center? And what else will they do on the offensive line? Let's take a timeout. When we come back, uh, so much emphasis. I'm almost fatigued on the offensive line mock drafts, the offensive line with the ninth pick. I just don't know if it makes that much sense for the Jacksonville Jaguars, although I think it's one of the four positions that do make sense. Let's talk it over a little bit more. Could center come into play in the middle rounds? There's some depth there, according to the Jags. They said that last week on the uh, pre-draft news conference with the local media. Would you take a chance at 
a depth position in the middle rounds with one of those fourth round picks and maybe find the next Brandon Linder as his dollars continue to get up and up and up a little bit more, even though his play has been getting better and better and he's been uh, healthier and healthier. So talk a little offensive line. So much more to come. Shock your mock. Oh, yeah. Jordan Rogers caught up with him. What yeah. he has to say about Gardner Minshew, what he has to say about this receiving class and some of the other SEC talent. That's on the way as well here on a Wednesday. It's NFL Draft Eve. Happy NFL Draft Eve. Now, back to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. You know, I think there is value to being able to to sit and learn from, you know, maybe someone who's who's done it for a long time and watch them prepare and then go in and, and do what you need to do. But there's also a lot of value in, in going in and playing right away and learning from your own mistakes um, and things like that. So I think, you know, if you go in with the mindset that the pressure is going to be too much for you, I think you're in the wrong, wrong, the wrong line of work. That is Joe Burrow. No doubt he'll be the number one pick, right? I mean, no doubt. <laughs> we the number one pick. Can you imagine if that gets thrown for a loop? I would be absolutely stunned. Who do you think is going to be better, Burrow or Tua? Take hip injury out of it. Burrow or Tua. Hey, keep in mind, let me give yeah. you a little background here. Yeah. Because people are skewed on this. You'll hear this a little bit later with Jordan Rogers. by the way. I thought he brought up a really good point. The one year, the, the, the unstoppable nature of LSU last year. I brought it up in terms of the corners. Go look at cornerback numbers against LSU. All the good corners in this draft, they were terrible against LSU. I mean, everybody was. They really were not good. Why? Because that thing was a juggernaut, man. Absolutely. Nobody could stop it. I mean, they were racing up and down the field on Alabama and everybody. Honestly, the Florida probably did the best job against them. And so uh, Burrow is part of this offense that almost makes you feel like was it the offense was it the system is he that good where Tua we've seen a it feels like a little bit more consistency and build up and just I think the resume speaks a little bit better instead of this one year boom where everything worked well so I think you can make the case for Tua now I've got to be honest with you. I'm going to be less hypocritical. I love what I'm reading on Tua. I think the the way the analysts and the Dilfers of the world and all those guys are really jumping all over Tua and love what he has. And I think he's got the intangible nature of maybe a Russell Wilson type. Mm. I do worry about his health. Mm -hmm. And there is a part of me that has thought all year, like, I just don't know if he's going to be as good as people think in the NFL. So that being said, I love the athletic ability of Burrow. I think Burrow is going to turn out to be a better pro than Tua. Yeah, so... But take the hip injury away, and who would you say? No, absolutely. You know, and one can maybe throw Justin Herbert in there, too, maybe just a little bit, just because of... He doesn't even reach the stratosphere for me. I'm okay. actually surprised he's at six. No, that's just me. Yeah, Again, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not this quarterback guru. No, for but sure. But I just don't get the feel that Herbert... I just think people are I'm, rushing Herbert into a vacancy that in, in L.A. Sure. with the Chargers that they need a young QB. No, I hear you. I'm just saying I would not be surprised if after this rookie year coming up that Joe, uh, Justin Herbert has the best numbers and is kind of labeled the best quarterback of the draft. But the question was, do you go with Burrow or Tua? Listen, I'm not a quarterback guy either, Brent, okay? I don't go by, well, where's his release at? Where's his footwork at? Like, yeah, I can sit here and listen to experts talk about it. But you know what? It means nothing to me. What I look for in a quarterback is 
when the stuff hits the fan and the world's falling around you, what do you do and how do you respond? And I saw Joe Burrow, and I get it. You come from an offensive juggernaut. Uh, you, you basically your entire offensive staff, your receivers, everybody, they're all go- they're going to be gone just because they were that impressive. But when I talk about that, when I say that the world was falling around Joe Burrow and there was pressure in the pocket and he had to make a play, you know what he did nine times out of ten? He made the play. He made the play over and over and over again on the biggest of stages. You can't put a grade on that. That's just either you have it or you don't. And I don't care what his track record is. I don't care he only started one year. I don't care he kind of came out of nowhere where Tua's kind of been this groomed guy for the past two years now. I don't care, man. All I have to go off of is what my eyes tell me. And what my eyes tell me is when I watch Joe Burrow play, that guy made plays extending a drive, extending the pocket that a lot of quarterbacks can't make. So if it's up to me, I'm taking Joe Burrow. I love the story about Burrow, by the way, that somebody like in his hometown was said he had like the the traits of of what what they say, like uh Almost like a, I don't want to misplace this, but I feel like they said um, somebody that would work like in the in the FBI, like whether it's a Navy SEAL, but also those of like a a major criminal in the sense that the pulse doesn't change. Yeah. Like everything slows down. I did not do a good job of describing that, but I really did not want to label him in a way that I shouldn't have labeled him. So but my point being, they came out, they said like from a, a. psychology standpoint mm-hmm. like his pulse doesn't move like it's okay and and so from a quarterback perspective a little cold-blooded in that yeah. sense it, it doesn't matter there's not peaks and valleys it, things don't speed up for him and it, if that's true I, I like that stuff i like when people reveal that kind of stuff because in that position mm-hmm. that tells a lot you never know that stuff you don't know that in baseball you don't know that in life you don't know how are you going to react mm-hmm. you know i think somebody explained it something like if if he was you know, being blitzed or going to get uh, going to rescue somebody from a fi- a burning house, mm-hmm. his bl- his blood pressure wouldn't change, his yeah. pulse wouldn't change. Yeah. And so, so basically, you're trying to call him a sociopath. Uh, maybe I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be nice about this, yeah, yeah. but I actually think it's a great attribute. Oh no, it, it, it obviously <laughs> is, man. It absolutely is. Listen to, to, to me. The biggest question mark. For Joe Burrow, at least for me, is that if I'm the Bengals, I'm doing my due diligence and I'm making sure that I've checked my P's and Q's on this. But, like, how does Joe Burrow's – how's he going to handle adversity? How's he going to handle losing a couple games, right? Because this guy's been a front runner. This guy's been a winner his entire life. You're going to Cincinnati now, and, hey, who knows what Cincinnati does this year. But if I want to put my mortgage on the line, I would probably say Cincinnati's probably going to lose a little more than they're going to win this year. Okay? That's just Mm -hmm. the way it's going to be. So the biggest question is, how does Joe Burrow handle that? How does he handle the adversity? I'm sure he'll probably take some lumps here or there. But, like, how does he handle it? Because we're, we're ready to anoint this guy as, like, the next big thing. Right, like this guy's been the first pick, you know, since I literally halfway through the the college football season. I just want to see how he's how he's gonna handle it. We know he's got the talent. We know he's got, you know, just the mindset. And like you said, he's kind of got that uh, the cold bloodness to him. But how does he handle it when he's not winning ball games? When he doesn't have the talent around him like he had in LSU? How does he handle those obstacles? Well, and you know how I feel. It's all situational, man. What do they put around him to make it good for him? You know, how do they make
make him better? How do they put him in a position to be successful? Uh, we don't talk about that enough. That's what we're talking about with Minshew. Have the Jags done a good enough job the last decade of putting their quarterbacks, who might not be that great anyway, but putting them in great positions? Or do they just say, hey, handoff, handoff, and third and seven, let's see what you can do? Mm-hmm. I think it's been more of that than putting them in good position. You see a lot of these other teams, Kyler Murray, they're putting him in a great position to be successful. Uh, Tom Brady, look at him in Tampa. You know, Kansas City, what they've done with Mahomes. Lamar Jackson, what they've done with the Ravens. They are taking these young talents, and they might be beyond talented. But they are taking these uh, these talented quarterbacks, and they are putting stuff around them. And that's when they thrive. Because that makes sense. <laughs> it's the hardest position to play, but you still need stuff around you. And uh, I, I just wish and I hope the Jaguars will do that. So, that being said, it gets us to the offensive line. I just asked a question the last few minutes when we went to break. As a fan base in Jacksonville, I get the sense, and and I hope I'm right because I think I pay attention to this a little bit more. And I know some of it's just social media, but I don't think all of it. I think if I have conversations in the grocery store, on the golf course, wherever else, I think this comes up a lot. The Jaguars, give me offensive line, give me offensive line, give me offensive line. I've long said very few people at any level of football like their offensive line. Very few. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to find grown men of that size to block in unison and it'll be good. The Jaguars appear to like their offensive line more than the outside world thinks, but that does not change the outside world thinking. Mm-hmm. Like They are ignoring that, I think, uh, the outside world, the fans, is saying, hey, we don't care if you like your offensive line inside Jags headquarters. We don't, and we want you to pick an offensive lineman. <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, the, the, the job of a GM or the job of the front office is you don't listen to the fans when it comes to personnel decisions. Okay, no. So I'm not mad at that. No, but they also have been wrong a lot, and the fans have sure. been right a lot, no, sure. for being honest. Yeah. So... My point in this is I keep hearing offensive line. I keep hearing offensive line. And I do believe it is one of the four positions that are very valuable in this draft for the Jaguars in the first round especially. Uh, Really, I I should say the first couple of rounds Mm. Uh, because cornerback is to me the gaping hole. But I'm not sitting here saying you have to go corner in the first round. It could be at number 42. It could even be at number 73, although I like that a bit less. I do think they're going to get a corner. I like what I just said about wide receiver. Yes, you have some wide receivers, but you don't have enough here in Jacksonville, and you haven't had enough weapons on offense to satisfy me, the fan base, or, quite frankly, your own damn quarterback. Uh, So give him more. Let him be successful. I think that is a need more so than other people might. I think defensive line, I think we all know what's going on. I mean, Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, Marcel Darius, enough said, right? Mm -hmm. Defensive line is an obvious need as well. But then there's offensive line. And do I think it's upgradable? Yes. Have I said Jawan Taylor is a very good player, I think. And if you get another left tackle, now you have anchors on that offensive line. Potential anchors on the defensive line, depending on what happens with Jan, and you know you have Josh Allen. I like that. And especially if Mitchie works out, now you've got some building pieces you know, mm-hmm. to really move this thing forward in the right direction. So I'm okay with it. But I also think... People are going a little overboard with it. They have a guy named Cam Robinson that has played the position. He's going to play, much like we said about Fournette yesterday, in a contract year. He's got a ton to prove. He should be healthy coming off last season uh, versus coming off the ACL from the previous season where he missed OTAs, training camp, and everything else. I, I don't mind upgrading offensive line. I don't mind picking offensive linemen. I just don't know if I sit here and say, man, do they need that right now? Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? You're not wrong at all. But then I make the same argument for, for wide receiver as well. Okay? Like, to me, 
the most important thing of this draft going forward because it's a catch-22. And this is the problem that I've had since we started talking about the, the draft coming up here the past couple months. It's the fact that you have a guy in Dave Caldwell who's the GM and you have a guy in Doug Marone who's the head coach who they're literally on like a lease right now, right? Because we know if the team does not succeed this year, they're probably going to be gone. So with that being said, you're supposed to play short ball with that. You're supposed to bring guys in that can make a difference right now because your season depends on it. Your livelihoods depends on it. Your jobs depend on it. So with that being said, then, yeah, you go after wide receiver. You go after these playmakers that can have a direct influence day one to make your team better. One could argue offensive lineman doesn't really do that for you, right? Because I can say Cam Robinson, yeah, he's probably not a top five left tackle in the NFL, okay? And he might not be top ten, but he's in the top 30 consideration, okay? So, like, when you say that, I mean, you can be a little bit confident saying, well, you know what? I like that better than possibly a Taven Bryan trying to hold down the three technique, right? So, with that being said, how should you how should you feel about offensive tackle? Listen, I'm not going to be opposed to it. I like to see it more at number 20 than I would at number 9. I won't be upset with it. It's not a sexy position by any means, but I think it's something that could be addressed. But it begs the issue. Is that guy going to come in here and be the difference in winning you know, three or four games or winning eight or nine games? Absolutely not. I don't think so. Well, I don't know if one player is making that kind of difference anyway. Uh, well, A.J. I, 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 Brown says what's up for the Tennessee Titans, man. I, I, I guess you're right. If you put it on again. D.K. Metcalf says what's up. You know my bar graph, right? Yeah. And I say, hey, take Taven Bryan, take Cam Robinson, take D.D. Westbrook or Chris Conley or one of the, the receivers that you might give the new guy – you know, more footballs to, uh, and then take like Rashawn, Rashawn Melvin, you know, yeah. you take those four spots and you say, okay, if we get Akuda, if we get Derek Brown, if we get Judy, yeah. if we get worse, where are you creating the most difference? Yeah. I think offensive line would be the least. Correct. Quite yeah. frankly, I really do. And Ooh. so that's kind of my point is like, like, I get it. The offensive line, you're never going to be satisfied. The offensive line, has it been at times atrocious over the last decade? Absolutely it has. It was pretty good in 17. You know, I go down the list and I'm like, okay, it's not a bad player, not a bad player. My biggest thing about their offensive line is I just don't think they've played together very well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think their individual parts are not bad. I also could sit here and tell you, just just paint this scenario, okay? You bring in Tristan Wirfs, Mm -hmm. right? He's, He's a right tackle by trade, right? You, you switch him over. Mm-hmm. Struggles a little bit with that transition. Cam Robinson playing with his hair on fire because it's a contract year, and he's playing lights out in, in tr- August. Shutting everybody down, yeah. The, now what? I mean, there's a chance that you could draft the guy number nine, and he gets beat out by Cam Robinson. And I know what you're saying. You're laughing at me right now by saying, what do you mean? It certainly could happen. It certainly Especially could Especially that's coming from the right side to play the left side. And making side. that transition. So, Same thing with the guy from Alabama. Now, keep in mind, the reason he's on the right side of Alabama is because Tua's a left-handed quarterback. True. So that was technically Tua's blind side. Yeah. Problem is, here in Jacksonville, you have a right-handed quarterback. You know? So yeah. you have to ask him to switch over to play the left side. So, you know, like Andrew Thomas, okay, maybe yeah. that. So then are you – my point is, Cam Robinson, I don't think he's great. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's horrible. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he is. But he could come in here and and actually compete heavily, which isn't a bad thing. I understand that. But you also want dividends early from a ninth pick overall, like they got from Josh Allen. He, yeah. They got way more than they even could have asked for from Josh Allen. But you get the point. So, And, and to your point earlier, it's like these guys are on a short leash. Yeah. Caldwell Marone. 
the one saving grace they would have, like if I'm thinking like them, is if I make my quarterback look good, you can make the case that the quarterback right now that is Aaron Jacksonville, Gardner Minshew, is the reason they stuck around because they drafted him. Mm -hmm. They developed him and did okay with him last year. And they also, in my opinion, said to the owner and Tony Khan, we're playing this guy, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think they like to hear that. And so if they then put stuff around him, make Gardner look as good as he possibly can look, even if they only won seven or eight games, does that mean they could keep their job because they're trending in the right direction? Mm-hmm. You know, you could play that scenario out uh, for Caldwell, for, for Marone. The better Minshew looks, the better chance they stay around. Well, why? Because that's the guy they found. That's the guy they're developing. That means they might have a franchise quarterback. And it also, by the way, if he's playing pretty well, means you're winning more games than people are expecting. Well, and that's exactly where the skill position comes in, right? Where one would think that if you draft their skill, you're going to try to save your job. Because once again, I think skill positions, Brent, they make the biggest difference. Okay, look at the look at the Raiders last year. Look at the Oakland Raiders. Okay, we watched Hard Knocks. We sat through the whole Gruden Antonio Brown saga, and we got that shoved down our throats for four episodes. You know, someone who we didn't really see that much, Josh Jacobs. Do you know how much Josh Jacobs was a difference last year for for the Oakland Raiders? The Oakland Raiders won seven games last year. I didn't have one in seven games. Did you? I thought the Oakland Raiders were going to suck last year. They did pretty good. You know why? Because they drafted a running back in the first round named Josh Jacobs, and he was great in the run game and also in the pass game. And he made all the difference in the world. Once again, another skill guy. So I get what you're saying. If you're Doug Marone, if you're Dave Caldwell, maybe you go after that wide receiver. Maybe you go after that skill position that's going to be that dynamic you know, game record, basically, and try to win you some more games. Because like you said, I don't think bringing an offensive lineman here increases the win total too much. Now, listen, I, I'm going to tell you this, too, and, and listen to the whole conversation because I've said it once already. I've said it for days and weeks before. If they pick an offensive lineman, they feel that good about Andrew Thomas or worse or whoever, I'm okay with it. Like, I get it. I, I'm not saying it's not an upgradable spot. I just don't know if they fully need it at this time. As much as everybody outside, here's what some folks are saying. Newly Bill says, so let's be honest, the Jags have drafted Cam Robinson, projected first rounder, dropped to early second. Taylor, who was projected first round, fell to us. I think Cam will come back from injury. Offensive line is good. Interesting. Josh says, no, offensive line needs talent and attitude. I feel like the right guy can transform the entire line. Okay. Uh, Newly Bill also says, draft playmakers with first three picks. Uh, BCB Couch says, I'd also throw in that the QBs and running back they've been blocking for have often made them look worse than they've played. Uh, and that's fair. You know, uh, you know, Foles looked gun shy when he came back in. Fournette, a lot of people think, doesn't hit the hole. And prior to that, even Bortles, you never knew where he was going to be. <laughs> now, Mitch is a guy you don't really know where he's going to be either because he can run around. So, hey, all good points. Again, if they draft one, fine. I get it. I can buy into it. I just don't know if I want to see them go there in the top ten. When we come back, more draft talk, of course. So much more to get to. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. So Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires goal for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 